The 3CR Gardening Show is coming to you today from the Woi Wurrung Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners of this land. We recognise the practices of care and cultivation of the land and waters by the First Peoples and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Wherever you are and wherever you garden, we encourage you to know whose land you're on. You are tuned in to the 3CR Gardening Show for another beautiful Sunday morning. I hope you're all sitting up in bed, beating your faces with chocolate while we (laughs) sit in the studio awake, talking about our favourite topic, gardening. Uh, I have three lovely people in the studio with me this morning. Jane Tonkin, bulb grower and expert from Tonkin's Bulbs. Peter Harris, <laughs> yes, round of applause, and Peter Harris, propagator and tuberous begonia grower. Welcome to the show, you two. Morning, Chloe. Morning, Chloe. How are you? We're not looking at our best, are we, this hour of the day? No, well, it's a Sunday morning, well, and, and I see a lack of chocolate. Sugar. The sugar hits. Yeah. Uh, we must also welcome a third panellist that's joined us last minute. Jane is... Um, Sorry, Jane, a friend of yours, mm-hmm. Kay Hagen, a Varea rhododendron grower from Hobart in Tasmania. Welcome to the show, Kay. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good morning. We roped you in this morning. You weren't you weren't supposed to be sitting in front of a microphone, but um, Jane told me what you do and I put you in front of a microphone. <laughs> so no pressure on Kay, um, but she is a, a expert and an old hat at sitting behind a microphone too. So um, if anyone's got Varea questions, we have one of Australia's leading Varea growers in the studio with us. So please ring in and give her a hard time. I made her get out of bed at five o'clock this morning. Oh, what a good friend. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So Kay's come all the way from Hobart to help me at the Flower and Garden Show that we um, had last week. And um, And he's still travelling north. She's going to stay on with me and we're doing a bit of a road trip up to the Collector's Plant Fair at Clarendon um, in New South Wales next weekend. Um, That is one of the biggest plant collector fairs in Australia. It is, yeah. Um, Yarra Valley Plant Fair is getting, we'll talk about that later too, that's getting bigger and better all the time, but Collector's has been around a long time and there's over sort of 76 plant stalls, Mm. let alone all the other things like your art and garden tools and food and things like that. I think um, this is about the 20th year, isn't it? Yes. It's around about? Yeah. So that'll be good fun um, because it's a bit different for us. There's a lot of things that uh, Sydney probably won't be able to grow of our stuff, but the Blue Mountains can. Mm. So it's taking a bit of sun and shade-loving 
um, things with us. So, yeah, we'll be packing up the ute and heading off on Thursday. And so Kay and I are doing a road trip. Look out, New South yeah, Wales. Right. With a bit of luck, it won't be as wet as the last couple yeah, of years. Hopefully not. Yeah. So. You are um, Thelma and Louise. Yes, except we're changing the ending, Chloe. Yeah, I really yeah. damn yeah. well hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I I do wish a happy Easter to you guys, mm. and or if that's whatever you celebrate, or if you just eat chocolate and hot cross buns yeah. all weekend, like that's fantastic too. Yeah. To everybody yeah. out there, if you celebrate, well, happy Easter. If you don't, um, just ha- have, a, happy, have a good time. Yeah, happy Sunday morning. Yeah. Just have a good Sunday morning. Enjoy your yep. long weekend. Be nice to each other. Amen. Yeah. All right, let's open the phone lines and see if anyone wants to join us. The number is 94190155. Our text message line is 0488809855. Let's get into some plants, shall we? There's some Already? interesting selections. Boy, we quick. We, we were quick. quick. I, 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 hang on, yeah. I thought we might do. We're going to do the mythicus debrief <laughs> no, we'll thing, say, and I was ready we'll for that. that, for that, for that later. Later. Or, or what we've okay, been up you, to for the last. Do you want to go while. first, Pete? Um, ladies first. You go first. Oh Janie. goodness, see, is it there? I'm definitely put on the spot. Okay. Um, well, I've brought in quite a few different autumn flowering things. Wonderful. Um, what we might start with is just the old-fashioned nerines. So pretty much um, anywhere in Victoria you can grow nerines long as they've got frost protection in the winter if you're in the cold areas like somebody else sitting next to me. And, and, and there's, all, there's all that breeding work going on with them too, isn't yeah. there? So it's not just the old-fashioned nerines, yeah. but you've got all that sarniensis that's cropped yeah. up through them as well. And, and um, Pete and Jess at White House certainly have quite a few. Um, look, we, we, we did have a collection of about three to 400, but I sold that collection to a duchy out, um, out our way who bought it for his granddaughter, believe it or not. Excellent. So at um, least yeah. that's continuing. Wow. Yes. Um, yes, so there's, there's a lot of – there's about 30 different species in the genus. Um, they come from southern Africa. Uh, so basically the climate is very, very similar to where we sit in Melbourne. Um, so a lot of them are very easy to grow. If you haven't started growing bulbs before, nerines are a good way to start because they pretty much stick them in, neglect, um, and they love it and flower naturally in the autumn. So um, the season sort of starts basically at the end of February and runs all the way through to about the middle of June, depending on which species or um, hybrid that you're growing. Um, So nice full sun position. Even sort of heavy clays or sandy soils, they still tend to do okay, but when you first put them in, add a little bit of substance to the soil or break your clay up to make it a bit easier. Um, So some of the ones I brought in is the old-fashioned lolly pink one, which is um, badenai. Um, So this is the one that everyone says, oh, my grandma used to grow that. Is that a species one? Yeah, so this is a species one, and they've um, done a lot of breeding with this one. Um, and the other species one I've got at the moment is, I've got to pick my nerines here, mm-hmm. is sunniensis. Now, ours is a deep magentary sunniensis, whereas a lot of the... How do you spell that species name? S-A-R-N-I-E-N-S-I-S. So like nerine sunniensis. And the common name being um, Guernsey lily which um, really has nothing to do with Guernsey in England. Um, it was the fact that they sent a, a ship with Nareens and they were going to um, introduce them to England years ago and um, something happened with the ship and the Nareens washed up on the beach. 
and have survived, haven't taken over and they're not weedy or anything. But yeah. So there comes the Guernsey lily, oh, even though they're from South Africa. Right. So um, Sunniensis has been one of the biggest um, species that they've used in breeding a lot of the different um, cultivars and things that Pete and I were talking about just before. A lot of the modern hybrids have come out of Sarniensis, which is where that, that frost protection comes in from because Sarniensis is a little bit more susceptible to frosts than, than the old-fashioned Bodenai yep. um, varieties. Um, one of the things with Noreen's, Jane, is um, how deep should I be planting my blasted <laughs> Noreen? Should well, there, there is, you know, people say to leave um, half of the bulb exposed, etc., because they do like that warm bake between November December. However, my lifetime of growing Noreens, I always have the fat part of the bulb, you'll understand when you're looking at one, fully um, covered in the soil and only the little um, fluffy neck at the top of the bulb is out so you can see where they are. You'll know when you need to shift your Noreens because the whole clump starts to push up out of the ground and you reduce the number of blooms that you're getting each year. So you wouldn't mulch around the Noreens? Um, do they need the, the they open don't, they ground? Don't, well, uh, I think they'd prefer the open ground. Um, mulch tends to sort of get in the way mm. of them, even though they're, they're hardy and they'll push up through mulch, they'll push up through your lawn if you want. Uh, uh, they'll um, push up concrete, yeah, if they get crowded enough. Yeah. One, one of the things, Jane, like my, my Noreens have finished and, and I... Um, I want to cut them back. Can I just cut all the foliage off them or should I tie it in a knot and let them go to sleep? Um, take, take the goodness. What should I it's do? It's better to leave um, the foliage to do its thing and go back. So you can tie it in a knot and put a bow around it if you want. Just let oh. it. Just, just let all that goodness go back into your bulbs. Um, and I think I, I think that's a rule of thumb for most bulbs. And I know people get disappointed with their um, larger daffodils with the leaves just flopping over in the garden mm. and things. Um, but all that goodness that's going back into your bulbs is, is helping for keeping them going for the next season. So mm. um, Noreen's and, is something that you should look into. And and, and, and once again, with, with feeding Noreen's, Jane, when, when should I feed my bulbs? All, all my bulbs. If there's a, is there a general rule of thumb as to how and when we feed bulbs? Um, depending on what you're growing, um, Noreen's, uh, I would be sort of most people that sort of bought them at Melbourne um, should be planting them now, just as a hint. Um, and just a little bit of a general bulb food or any of the sort of slow release three to six month um, palletised things that you can use. They don't need a lot. So you don't need to use your heavy things like um, the chook poos and blood and bone and all that. Um, you can overfeed them and they don't flower very well. Mm. Uh, for a lot of other spring flowering bulbs, you should be sort of top dressing um, at the end of winter um, and probably again in autumn. So it's sort of the, the end of winter and the end of summer, basically, for spreading a bit of fertiliser around on your bulbs in the garden. And and when we're fertilising them, um, one of those questions we get asked all the time is, my bulbs have lots of lovely leaves <laughs> but no flowers. <laughs> Now, <laughs> so so um, that's, Pete's, Pete's a bit tired. No. That's, that's 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 all to do with the amount of nitrogen people get throwing into their bulbs. So when we're looking at feeding bulbs, when so, so when you buy a packet of fertilizer, it has this thing called the NPK ratio, mm-hmm. and that's nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. Yep. So. For everybody that doesn't know, nitrogen, it gives you lots and lots and lots of lovely leaves. So when you're looking for a specific fertiliser for your bulbs, 
go down your NPK ratio and you're looking for something with a lower N and a higher PNK, which mm-hmm. is for flower and shoot development. Is that that's where we should be looking that's at? That's basically it. Um, anything that's sort of 5, 10, 10 kind of scenario. There's the um, when you When you're looking at things like Galanthus or some of the fritillarias that are heavier feeders, even that balanced 10, 10, 10 kind of high in nitrogen as well um, is good that I've found for those sort of things. So it depends on what you're growing to a degree. But you were exactly right that the nitrogen keep it down a little bit for most bulbous things. So. Mm. Perfect. Oh, and of course, cut flower. Cut flower potential for noreens? Oh, definite cut flower potential. Um, So once a spike uh, starts to emerge from the bulb, it takes about three weeks till um, the head start to spread and open. And then you've got sort of a three-week life in a vase as well. So, uh, And it doesn't hurt them to pick them right off at at the base of the stem, uh, take them inside and enjoy them. Once they've finished flowering, it's when they make all their beautiful new leaves and roots during the winter. So um, as much as they're flowering in the autumn, it's the perfect time to shift them mm. um, because you don't want to do it while they're in the green in mm. winter. So sometimes, sometimes when I pick my noreens at home for the bus, um, I if you pull the stem, it'll come out from actually down in the bulb. Is yep. that good or bad? or Look, I, it, it's never... It hasn't been detrimental when I've done the same thing because it comes up with that little white sort of rest of the stem at the bottom. Um, Basically, it's better to sort of take yourself a pair of um, secateurs or something to do it with because they they don't snap very easily Mm. and then it can pull that bit out from the bulb. Which opens the inside of the bowl up to pests and diseases coming in. But they're they're pretty tough little cookies anyway. So, yeah. Thank you, Jane. Let's get to some community announcements. Um, we've got a couple of special Easter gifts for our visitors today, visitors, listeners today. Uh, once again, Open Gardens Victoria has given us um, double passes to two Open Gardens and the Open Gardens are in Trentham next weekend. So it's the school holidays. Take yourself a little drive out to sort of central Victoria and visit the beautiful Trentham and these two gardens. So the first one that we have is called Tranquility 2023. Um, the house and garden is uh, created from Indigenous and South African plants to attract honey eaters. There's a grass sitting area to the side and the back beds uh, contain perennials. There's a large fountain and some bird baths. A viewing area overlooks the remainder of the garden, which is still being developed. There's stone walls and stairs built to set off the plantings and the perennials and the grasses. Holm oaks, which have been inoculated with truffles, and a very substantial kitchen garden with fruit trees and a whole heap of other delightful veggies. So that's Tranquility 2023. That's the name of it. It's Three Gunya Drive in Trentham. The other garden that's open with OGV next weekend is Rhonda's Rhonda's Garden. Help me, Rhonda. 32 Park Street, Trentham. The garden is packed with lush plantings of exotic and native plants, mixes of perennials, small bushes, grasses and trees to create areas of interest wherever you look. If you want to just drive up there and go by yourselves, the tickets for adults are $10, $8 for students, and under-18s are free. Tickets for Open Gardens Victoria events can be booked 
online via TriBooking and you can find those links through the opengardensvictoria.com.au website. Now we have one double pass for Tranquility and one double pass for Rhonda's Garden. If you would like to give our glorious producers a call, the number is 94190155. Now the other special treat we have for you is more tickets to more plant festivals. The Tesla Kabloom Festival of Flowers has been running since the 25th of March and it's running until the 25th of April, so another couple of weeks, halfway through. We have two double passes to give away uh, to go up to Tesla's Flower Farm. They are on Monbulk Road in Sylvan. It's an It really is an absolute festival of flowers and you can buy the flowers there and it's a whole heap of fun. They also have their um, shop open as well, close. So they don't do – I haven't done Melbourne for the last two years because of this amazing festival that they put on. So if you've missed out on your big bags of tulips and things like that, great opportunity to go look at the Kabloom and purchase things while you're there. Beautiful. Um, Thanks, Jane. Yep. Um, the Kabloom tickets, we will, um, it's a physical paper ticket. I'm holding it right now. We will mail it out to people. So that's Kabloom, two double passes, and Open Gardens Victoria, two double passes as well. They're all our community announcements for this lovely, quiet Easter weekend. We did have a uh, listener email us with a couple of questions. Listener called Cheryl from Bitten has two questions for the panel. Jane, this is directed at you. Uh-oh. Do you need to put species tulips in the cold for them to flower or reflower? She's living to living in the Mornington Peninsula, doesn't get the cold like the hills, and wonders if she should put the containers in the fridge. No. Right. Um, I thought you were going to say yes. A lot of those species tulips aren't necessarily out of Europe. A lot of them are from from some of those harsh areas, aren't they? So um, species tulips are, yeah, naturally basically through Turkey, Iran, um, as opposed to the big Dutch cultivars that that we see in the beautiful Tesla gardens and um, a lot of people grow and they have to dig and put in the fridge every year. Mm. If you live in a warm climate. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, basically down where Cheryl is, and good morning, Cheryl, um, mm. she will be fine with just leaving them in the pots. Uh, the thing about leaving them in your pots and just out doing their thing is that you will need to top dress them, and I would do that soon, and that's garden lime and one of the smellies, like um, blood and bone. Just put that on the top and let Mother Nature do her thing this okay. weekend. Um, that will help. But species tulips are a great thing for the garden because they will – um, multiply and colonise into great little sort of um, mats. They just make these nice yeah. mats, don't they? Mm. Quick, and they um, do it quickly. Great for a rockery that's, you know, sort of a full sun position because they're sort of dormant over the summer when it's hot, bakey, and they don't mind that. Um, so, yeah, definitely species tulips are the way to go if you mm. don't want to have to dig your tulips each year. In those mm. warmer climates, absolutely. Underused in a garden. Yeah. Beautiful. So, well done, Cheryl. Yes, well done, Cheryl. Mm. Um. The other question that Cheryl sent through is about seed collecting. So do you need to allow, and I don't think she's talking about a specific seed, although she does mention broad beans, do you need to allow the seed to go brown on the bush or can you pick it green and then let it dry? She likes to collect seed from 
a lot of the plants that she grows, but as the broad beans in her garden were very late last year and it took a while for them to turn to be ready for what she thought was them being the seed being collected. What do you guys think? Okay, as as a general rule with picking all seeds, orchids would be the only variable here. Mm. But it generally, when you look at your seed pod, it goes from that nice green to an all seed pods, not just beans and not just vegetables, bulbs right through trees and shrubs. They will tend to take on a water. The seed pods will take on a watery look. They will fade from green to to a. Um, 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 not um, not a, a brown, but they'll, they'll, that green will lose its its Luster. Vib- vibrancy. <laughs> yeah, and it will it'll almost take on a strawy look. From it, then right the way through, there's generally enough nutrient in that seed pod to finish ripening the seed. So no, you don't have to wait. And a lot of those seed pods, if you let them go ripe on the bush, they tend to disperse themselves by flinging apart. So they will fling seed out and you'll miss your valuable seed collecting experiences. Then there are the little ones that are blown in the air. So they take Mother Nature's um, air movement to spread them around. So they're the little ones like the, the dandelions we've all blown on and, um, and, and made, made a, a wish, wish with. Some sort. Yes. <laughs> um, they, they, they are quite happy to be picked once again. The minute the flower colour finishes and they take on that choke almost in the centre, which is it, it turns white, they are ready for picking. There's always enough nutrient left in that seed pod to finish ripening the seed. Now, the reason I specifically mentioned orchids was, once again, because they, the minute they have become pollinated that the, the, the female um, drops its leaves and, and the ovaries swell up and the seed forms but orchids are one of the few plants that have a symbiotic relationship so they need a fungus so you can pretty much pick orchid seed from a green pod um, and finish it with a little bit of lemonade sh- sugar syrup um, and then um, it, because it has to be germinated under tissue culture environment with a host, um, if, if that's the, any of those seed pods are allowed to ripen, i.e. fungus and spores get in them, and because you're doing it under tissue, you have to be able to sterilise your seed pods. So that's the reason I said orchids can mm. stay green. But the general rule of thumb is the minute that it loses that beautiful green vibrancy and takes on that strawy look and that watery look, they can be picked from then on. Yeah, beautiful. Hopefully that was helpful, Cheryl, and thanks for emailing us in. If there's any other listeners that either didn't get a chance or don't want to call us and speak to us on air, you can email us uh, and we will. And you can attach photos to those emails as well and we can get to them on the show. So our email address is gardening at 3cr.org.au. Now let's go to our first caller, our good friend, Fermi. Hello, how are you? Hello, very good, thank you. Happy Easter. Yes, happy Easter. Or well, happy, for those non-religious, happy chalky eggs. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, Fermi, what was your question? I think it was about nareens. Oh, well, um, when Jane was talking about nareens, she spoke about cut flowers. And um, what a lot of people don't realise is that when the cut flower nareens uh, finish flowering and you're about to throw them out, don't keep them in water, and if they've been pollinated, they'll set seed. And those seeds can be sown, and particularly in Melbourne, Melbourne's climate's wonderful for marines. Um, we have a bit of harder time, as uh, Peter was talking about before, about the uh, uh, frost tenderness of uh, most of the modern hybrids, which derive from Sarniensis. Um, uh, but 
Yeah, we, we uh, in Melbourne, you, you should be fine for just uh, gathering those seeds, sowing them on top of the pot of soil, and you in a few years you'll have your own Noreen hybrids. There you go. They, they take about three to four years to flower from a seed. And, and, yeah, that's true. Most of that South African stuff, the minute it finishes flowering, it, um, they, they form seeds fairly quickly. And, and they're then they ready sh- to sow straight away. And they shoot yep. away. And, like, yep. I, I remember years ago bringing in some Brunswickia seed out of South Africa and yep. it actually germinates along the way. Yep. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're fairly, yeah, they're they fairly have, quick, aren't they? Yeah. All, all, but all those, it should be said, all that berry-type stuff, you can't leave it hanging around. You have to pick no, it and sow it fairly quickly. quickly. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah well, you're there. Yeah, Fermi, did you want to talk about the um, Fernie Creek uh, Horticultural Society Autumn Show while we're Oh, right, yes. The Autumn Show is on the 22nd and 23rd. And um, the Autumn Show, um, if you like hydrangeas especially, um, the Autumn Show is just marvellous for hydrangeas. Particularly the growers up in the hills have just got banks and banks of these uh, marvellous flowers and uh, they can fill the hall with um, hydrangeas as well as a lot of the uh, autumn colour that you get. Um, depending on the season, if we have had too much rain and wind, people will bring in branches of uh, different um, autumn coloured fla- uh, leaves as well. And of course, uh, things like marines. And this is where when I, when I was a younger member and could be there, you know, <laughs> both days of the show. I'd wait around for the end of the show because then you got to take, away, take home the cup flowers that were left over. And, of course, I'd go for the Noreen's. <laughs> and then collect the seed off the bar. <laughs> <laughs> so this fabulous show is on, as Henry just said, the 22nd and 23rd of April and it runs from 12 to 4 on the Saturday and 10 to 4 on the Sunday. And it's a $5 entry free fee. Members are for free and children, I think, under 18 are free. Um, so if anyone wants to go along, you know, the Yarra Valley Plant Fair is on on that same weekend. So great chance to do um, some wonderful stuff oh, in the hills. Yeah. Go see Craig at Gentiana, etc. Go see Cloud Hill. Um, but while we're on hydrangeas, thanks for me, um, Pete's got... Thanks, little, yeah. thanks, Fermi. That, that's a lead into our next little curio. So okay. this morning I've brought in hydrangea petiolaris. Fermi, thanks for calling. I'll just um, put bye. you back on mute. Thanks, <laughs> bye. <laughs> that's right. yeah. Otherwise you'll be hanging around. We'll, we'll be a foursome. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so while, while we're talking about hydrangeas, um, I've brought in one of the – so hydrangeas come in trees, uh, shrubs, and there are a couple of climbing clones. Um, there, there are also a couple of – affiliated clones as well, which is the schizophragmas and other things. But I've brought in hydrangea petiolaris this morning. Now, um, it's, so, so when we're talking about hydrangea petiolaris, it's, it's a native to Japan, Korea, and I think it spreads out as far as Siberia. It's an understory plant. Um, it comes out of the, the woodlands. Um, now, I, I have seen, I was fortunate enough to be in Austria a few years ago, and I have seen this plant up there um, around about 10 metres that was growing over some pergolas. Yeah. Um, now, in Australia, it doesn't get that big, so don't be frightened. It's not, it's not oh, going to excited. do that. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, look, 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 look. Well, well it's, it's, it's a cooler climate up there, and um, it, 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 there's certainly Edelweiss. a picture. Yeah, well, exactly. I saw my first Edelweiss flowering there. <gasps> 
I'm so it's jealous. Oh, it's a, look, it's beautiful. It's, oh. it's anyway, we've digressed. Yeah. Okay, so, so Hydrangea petillaris. It's not one of those ones that use tendrils to climb. The tendrils are the little vine things that spin around the, your bean stalks and all that sort of stuff. Um, it, it uses adventitious roots. So roots come in several different forms, of which the roots you see up the stems are called adventitious roots. That's how it drags itself up onto things. It'll get about a, a metre to two metres wide. It's not a quick one, so if you want a good quick screen, don't pop a hydrangea petiolaris in and expect it to give you a screen in one to two years. It won't do that. Pardon my voice, everybody. We're, we're a little bit um, um, talked out from Melbourne International. Yeah, so husky, yeah. I, 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 think, I think we were the bad kids in the block and got to come in here, weren't we, Janie? Yep, yep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, so Petiolaris, look, it takes on the most gorgeous autumn foliage. It, it goes from green to yellow over the season. By May, middle of May, June, it'll have lost all of its leaves. It has large umbels of white, the old-fashioned hen and chickens flowers. So it's not those great big macrophylla flowers of reds and blues and mauves and pinks you see around the place and the bicolour hybrid ones. Um, it basically is a large white umbel of maybe, look, I've seen it up to 30 centimetres across, but anything up to that is fair. Um, I, I remember working in the gardens at Chandler's many, many years ago for the, for the senior citizens amongst the listeners out there that might remember Chandler's in the basin. Um, they had one up the office there, and it was planted in the 1930s, I believe, and it was about two to three metres high. That's ideal conditions up there at the foothills of the Dandenong Ranges. In the altitude, it'll take full sun, but generally, with all height, it's part sun, morning sun, all that sort of stuff. They will burn down, and closer to sea level you get, that they will definitely burn. It's a summer flowering one. I think as all hydrangeas are, I believe if you cut them back, you might get a second flowering sometimes as with some of those species. Um, what else have I got here to tell you about is, hydrangea petiolaris? Is it deciduous? Yes, it's deciduous. Yeah. So its leaves change from yellow um, and fall off by yeah. the middle of May, late yeah, May. They've all paling gone. off at the moment. Yeah, they, they've taken on the yellow tones there right now. Um, it can be propagated. Look, we, we have, over the decades, we've done them from seeds. Now, the, the disadvantage from doing them from seeds, as with some of those species hydrangeas, is it takes them forever to flower. Um, you, so doing things from seed, you get the vigour in them, so they grow fairly quickly, but because they don't have any viruses in them, and by that I mean all plants that are propagated through, through um, anything, secateurs going near them, pick up a virus at some point. It's not detrimental to the plant, it's just what happens. Um, so from seed, they can take up to 10 years to flower. So all those people that bought hydrangeas from some sources that haven't flowered, I suggest that may be the source. They can be grown from softwood cuttings with adventitious roots showing on them. If they don't tend to have the roots on them when you propagate them, they do take a long time to root because they tend to harden up quite quickly in the propagation media. They are great up columns, they are great as spaliard, they are great as a standard. Um, so there's all sorts of things you can do with them. And as with all hydrangeas, they make not a bad little cut flower. Of course, yeah. So there we are. We've done hydrangea petiolaris. Beautiful. Thank you, Fermi, for the lead-in. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Fermi has just messaged in. Uh, actually, we'll get to another text message before I get to that one. Uh, question for Jane. Is there a way to get around the pot of dirt look while waiting for daffodils and tulips to sprout? Can you plant anything on the surface? Pansies. Yeah, just any any of those colour. annuals. Any yeah. any of those yeah. annuals that lobelias, any of that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah, that that won't be detrimental to the daffies or tulips at all. 
Um, but yeah, otherwise, you know, a lot of people just tend to move, move their pot somewhere yeah. too. Would but. something like a like viola or dichondra, like a lightish yeah. yeah, green yeah, cover, yeah, also would be fine too. Yeah, Any yeah, of those yeah. summer flowering annuals, yeah. yeah. Okay, good o. Thank you. Uh, Fermi has messaged in. He's asking for a friend. Does Kay know if Varea rhododendrons will grow and flower in Brisbane? The answer to that is yes, because there is quite a lot of hybridising done in by Neil Puddy in Woolgoolga. So perhaps not all of them, but yes, Overall, you would be able to get quite a nice selection of varieties in Brisbane. Does Neil Puddy sell what he grows? Yes, he does. Okay. Uh, P-U-D-D-Y? E-Y. E-Y. All right, Fermi, get your friend to Google. Neil, does Neil have a website? Yes, Varea Worldwide. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> hopefully um, hopefully you, you can pass those details on to your um, friend Fermi, did you have something to add, Pete? Um, there's also the Varia Venue, which deliberately moved from the Danian Ranges to Brisbane. So the Varia Venue also do a fair bit of Varia sales retailing. Beautiful. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Uh, the Kabloom and the Open Gardens Victoria tickets have all gone. Congratulations to the people that rang up for those. Uh, the phones were going off for a minute there. So <laughs> yeah. well done to Burn and Tom for dealing with those. Thank you very much. Yep, double thumbs up. Okay, now the text message, and from Northcote. Uh, good morning. Thank you for being there for us. Thank you for that, Anne. Um, could Jane talk about Ixia, please, the growing conditions, season, cut flowers, and if they're okay for clay soil? Okay. Um, Ixias are one of those things that are predominantly South African as well, um, and most are spring flowering. There is a few that will go into summer flowering. Um, the most common that we see is those um, paniculata hybrids. Just and, the pretty um, ones. Just the pretty just ones the, that people yeah. use in meadows. Yeah. Um, and basically it's a usually a well-drained um, full sun position. So any clays or sands and things you need to add a little bit too, but if you're planting them in a pot, just your regular potting mix is good enough for Ixias rather than going into the expensive composty type ones. Um, garden lime, because they like it a bit alkaline, and I use blood and bone for a lot of my bulbs, so something like that, or just one of the general bulb foody things that Pete and I were talking about with a sort of lower nitrogen is perfect. Yep. Um, they do make a good cut flower. You mm. tend to have to wait till the bottom flower on the raceme is open. Um, to maintain vase life more than picking them in full bud, they tend to not open properly. Okay, good um, tip. If that helps. Yeah. But, yeah, Ixias are pretty easy. They're one of those things that you can leave in and so long as you're feeding them a bit each season, um, they just keep coming back for you. So. Yeah. And, and that, that little bit, occasionally they get that little bit of rust, you know, yeah. with, with all that moisture. Is that yeah. detrimental to them? It's or? not detrimental to the bulbs. It just makes them look a bit yucky sometimes in the garden. And last spring, with all the wet weather that we had, a lot of the Ixias do suffer with that sort of, um, it's like a fungal thing. Um, but it, it doesn't hurt your bulbs at all. Is, is it worth trying to spray and control it or oh, just I, leave it I there? don't. I don't. But I suppose it depends on, um, yeah, if you're opening your garden for <laughs> an open garden weekend, maybe maybe you might. But I just sort of go, oh, the exes are having trouble again this year or whatever. So um, it doesn't particularly worry me. But there's lots of fun ones that you can um, try and look for too. There, there's The genus is 
full of these most amazing species, um, including the beautiful green um, viridiflora, but there's also other little ones. Um, there's ones with scent, there's ones without scent. So uh, once, you, once you've mastered the normal colourful ones that you can buy in a larger pack, um, have a look out for some of the species ones because they, they are a fun genus. They, they are, they're a whole bunch, aren't they? Mm. Good. Thank you, Jane. Hopefully that's helpful, Anne. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is Chloe Foster, and in the studio this morning I have with me Jane Tonkin, Peter Harris, and Kay Hagen. Now, Kay, let's yep. get our listeners to get to know you a little bit better <laughs> because we've actually um, been talking to A.B. Bishop about getting you on the show at some point, but it was going to be via phone, and then lo and behold, you turned up this morning. <laughs> so... <laughs> So um, no pressure on you at all, my dear friend. No, but, yeah. yeah, no pressure at all. No time to prepare. How long have you been growing Varea rhododendrons? Uh, about 25 years now. And have you been growing them in Hobart the whole time? Yes. Yeah? Yes. How many different types of Vareas do you grow or how many are there? I don't know a lot about them. Well, at our previous garden, I've been asked the question many times and the honest answer is I never counted them. <laughs> I was too frightened <laughs> to. Um, I guess conservatively 200 at least. Wow. Unfortunately, we had to move to a new location and I was only able to take about 85 with me, but I did have quite a lot of rooted cuttings from the previous garden. So we've worked on that. And unfortunately, we didn't have the ideal position for Boreas. So my husband very kindly built me a big 12 metre by 7 metre display house. Oh, wow. And I'm lucky enough to have a grow house as well. So I've been able to continue growing and um, propagating them. Because they are more of a tropical variety of rhododendron? Tropical is probably a misnomer. Okay. I always tell people I think it, they should be called temperate. And I think Peter would probably agree with me there. <laughs> I, I think that there's that little Australian native one, which is Lock Eye. Yeah. yeah. And then they're sort of through New Guinea. Like they've got, what, what's their, in, 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 what's as Mother their... Nature made them, what's their geographical spread approximately? Oh, Right through um, Java, um, Thailand, Indonesia, but the majority of them are found in the highlands in New Guinea, where they're epiphytic. Ah. And so, so for those that don't know what epiphytic means, they're growing on branches of trees, and you have to look up very high to find them, wow. not down at eye level or on the ground. So what sort of growing medium do you grow them in? I've found through experience the best way to grow Varayas is not to dig a hole and plant them, but to plant them on top of the ground. Wow, okay. And I use the analogy to people, if you've ever seen water go through a cymbidium orchid, that's the conditions that Varayas like when they're either in a pot or in the ground, love water, but they don't like wet feet. So right. by planting them on top of the ground in a mound, the water runs away clearly. Mm. Do you 
sit, plant them on top of the ground and cover the root ball in yes. soil? You bring your mulch up and it must be very free draining and I always suggest to people to add something to it to make it very free draining that is some gravel or ideally some orchid bark. Okay, yep. And just cover it in gravel and orchid bark. Yes, and let cover your root ball, but make a mound, not a peak, because we all know what happens if you put a water on a peak. It just runs straight off. It yeah. won't go through it. Right. So you do need to put a stake through your root ball to secure it, bring your mix up around it, then put your mulch around Give it a nice drink of sea soul and don't forget to put the name tag on. <laughs> if you're growing a lot of them, yes. <laughs> so so, so am, I, am I correct in assuming by epiphytic, we don't actually mean like the orchids, they cling onto the, onto the, uh, the branches outside. They actually grow down in the crevices and down in bark and they get leaf litter and stuff That's fall, right. fall yes. down yeah. onto yes. them. So, so rather than like orchids that actually ha- have the really fine um, br- breeder and, and and water take up roots on the main core of roots. These little guys still have their feeder roots and they still get all the mulch and everything dropped onto them. Then they get the monsoonal rains and the thunderstorms go through. They get a really good drink and then they drain free and all that. So they're not, right. actually, they're not actually surviving so much on the, the, the humidity in the air like orchids, but they're actually getting that drench up in the, up, up in the clefts and whatever they've yep. found to cling onto, and then off they go. And, of course, they are getting something from the leaf litter uh, with the water on top of that releasing the nutrients through. So that does help a lot. And I also suggest to people, particularly for new gardeners, to also uh, plant their ordinary Asiatic rhododendrons that way. They don't like being in the ground so much because they don't have a big root system. As Peter will say, they have a nice round system, which makes them very easy to move later on if you need to. Uh, but they do thrive if by planting them on top of the ground. So they basically just feed, like like trees and shrubs have a, have an anchor root or a tap root or, or different forms of roots. Um, all, all those small rhododendrons have basically um, very very fibrousy roots. Yeah, they have a lot of them, but they're more of a mat than an actual root that you would find on a lot of other plants. Mm. And of course, don't forget to fertilise. They what? do like fertilise. Right. Well, how often would you fertilise them? Only in the warmer months. Um, I go the other way from Jane with the bulbs. I like a high nitrogen, a high NPK. Um, I recommend something like nitrosol because it's easy for people um, rather than having to mix up fertiliser. One capful to a watering can. You can add a bit of sea salt to that too. Give it to them over the roots and around the root ball. Probably every once every three weeks in the warmer months. And as soon as the weather starts to cool, the ground cools down. So don't feed them. Okay. Right. So, so, so that going for lots of nitrogen with the trees and shrubs is that? I'm assuming that um, that's to give them lots of leaves to make lots of shoots and then to make lots of That's flowers. Right. Yes. Yep. Well, you're getting your potassium in your mixture, but it helps keep them nice and glossy and mm. nice and 
healthy looking. And trust me, her Varea house is very healthy. <laughs> I, she showed me some photos before we started. And they're yeah. like, normally I, I see a rhododendron and it's covered in, you know, the mite. So, 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 although that Australian native one, um, that, that Hobart climate, that can be fairly harsh. So, so if there's any Hobart listeners, they can't pop along to you or, or buy or, or, or buy Vareas and pop them in their rose garden, can they? I always ask people what area they live because being from Tasmania, I know the areas. Mm. There are some areas that I would say, look, don't waste your money. If you get frost occasionally, they will survive. But if you get continual heavy frost, and sadly, brayers are not for you. Mm. Unless you have your own little glass house. Mm. Yes, if you've got a glass house or somewhere to give them protection. Yeah. But having said that, because we move to an area that is a lot colder and a lot windier from our previous garden, being me, I had to test out the theory. So I planted out three or four into the garden to see what would happen. Mm. Two winters we've been down to minus four. And those four varias are still keeping on keeping really? on. So I can't explain it. Did you, the varieties that you put in though, did you select those ones to put in because you think they're the most cold tolerant? Not particularly. They happen to be plants that I hadn't sold. Right. <laughs> and I thought, well, here's a chance to test out the theory and so far they have survived do do you know the names of them can you not off the top okay that's right i've got a question for you from the text line what are some tips for growing varayas in the cold dandenong ranges and what are the best species for growing outside of a glass house oh that's a curly one (laughs) all right (laughs) tips for growing in the cold in a cold area Well, I don't think growing in the Dandenongs really is much different Mm. from Hobart. Yeah. We get down to minus four. Do you get down to that, Joan? Not quite that far. No, minus three is about a a cold one Mm. for us. Yeah. um... Um, Planting them and trying to just give them a little bit of protection, um, site them carefully rather than just putting them out in the open. And I think Peter would agree with that. Any, uh, because they can be a frost tender, any plant um, will benefit from having some trees or bigger shrubs in the vicinity. Mm. Do they need, how much sun do they need or does it vary between the cultivars? Not really. Uh, Morning sun is ideal, but let's face it, with the amount of plants that are recommended to go in full sun, it's just not possible. So I always say to people, they will take afternoon sun as long as they've got some overhead protection. So if you can site your plant, even though it's going to get full sun, with something to give it some broken light rather than full-on heat, they should be all right. As long as you keep the water up to them too. That's very important. 
I, I remember years ago we had a little farm over in Monbolk, um, just up the road from Jane, actually, and we had jasmine aflorum growing quite happily there, and we, we shoved that in under some Styrax japonica and some white laculias, and um, it, it did get a bit of northerly sun, and it did look a little bit yellow during the worst parts of summer, but it grew and thrived. Oh, there was another, lutium was there, or yeah. latium? Latium. latium. Oh, that's it, yeah. Um, that, that survived there quite happily too. Um, so most of those Dandenong ranges, um, there's, there's that, a lot that white one is at there. the Rody Gardens as well. That, yeah, um, the Rody Gardens yeah. have quite a showing down in the gully there, don't they, from memory? Yeah, I think, yeah, so. yeah, I think yeah, there's a pretty good showing up yeah, there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the second part to Doris's message was, what are the best species for growing outside a glasshouse? Yeah, or oh, one that you would recommend for yeah. Melbourne. Let's not go with the Dandenongs or whatever, but someone that's in Melbourne, what would you recommend, do you think? Oh, gosh, there's so many. Um, can we, I think about that? Yeah, so, let's okay. come back to we, it. We, we should probably break that question down into sort of – because they come in quite quite um, spready ones, don't they? Like almost um, ground cover ones yes. right up to um, some of the taller ones, which will grow, what, two metres sort yes, of thing, yes. some of them? So, so there's quite, there's quite a, a broad range of them for different different purposes, really. And another tip that I would say – to our gardeners out there, if you're going to grow a varia, please prune it, tip prune it okay. as a young plant. When should it be tip pruned? After flowering? Yes. Take off, take off the new growth. Just nip it off mm-hmm. and then feed it. Don't let your plant get too big and unruly and then try and plant it. Do it while it's young. Okay. Like like all roadies, though, if if we've got an old varia kicking around that we probably sacrificed and popped in the garden, can I cut it back hard like with rhododendrons? Do they respond yes, well? Yes, you can, as long as you would do it not in the middle of summer, obviously, and then give it a good a good drink of sea salt for a couple of weeks to help it settle down and. Relieve the shock a little bit. So, so we'd, we'd think about cutting it back probably after our last frost sort of thing so yes. it can bud away and yes. shoot away and harden up with summer. Don't forget to feed it. <laughs> <laughs> What's the moral? <laughs> um, we have a caller on the line, um, Prue, who my note on the screen says you're a treasurer of the Rhododendron Society. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Welcome to the show, Prue. Thank you so much. Um, I just wanted to confirm everything that Kay is saying. Uh, <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah. But somebody asked about the Dandenong Ranges, and um, we work up in Olinda at the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Gardens, which is where our major collection is held. And we grow a vast array of arrays up there outside, basically unprotected um, species and hybrids, um, but for some more specific information, please, anyone, don't hesitate to contact the Rhododendron Society. Um, we have a website, rhododendron.com.au, and um, there's also, you can contact our treasurer or um, not me, Drew Chrome. Just search me, you can find me, um, as an artist and as a rhododendron person, or our secretary, and that is at vicrodo at gmail.com. Vicrodo at gmail.com. Yep, okay. 
And that way, um, yes, yeah, so you can get easily get lots of information on top of um, for Victorian experiences as well. And Melbourne, I say, exactly as Kay says, plant them on top, not in the ground. Um, um, Prue, do they sell any of the vireas in, um, as potted stock up at the roadie gardens at all? So if yeah, people wanted different. to go up and buy one? Definitely. Uh, we were at the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society show in March and we'll be having a spring sale um, from our nurseries up there. Um, some of our plants look rather tragic because they've survived COVID and also refurbishment of shade houses. And um, we can give advice on cutting back. Some of them quite straggly, but I'm a big proponent of cutting back um, varias. They really thrive. Mine are all looking wonderful up in Callista. Um, I tend to have an overcover of tree ferns for most of them and I tend to plant out with lots of other com- uh, communal plants to give them a sort of a sense of being in the rainforest. Um, yes, that's all. Thanks, Kate. Great. Great. All right. no, thank you. Good. Thanks, Prue. Thanks for calling in, Prue. Some of their plants no, are looking like me. Prue, she's breathing a sigh of relief. No. <laughs> Some of her plants are looking like me a few hours Is ago. Yeah. Long and struggling. A bit tragic. <laughs> yeah. So... The Rhododendron Society is going to be at the Fernie Creek uh, plant show next time. It's in the, on. In the spring. Uh, in the spring. Uh, that one. But I think but they, they, were, were, they were at they that were March one a few yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, there is one in spring as well. So, If you have any varia – now, hang on. Let's just take a step back here. What's the difference between a varia rhododendron and a regular rhododendron? Varia rhododendrons are called tropical and it's a word that I don't like because, let's face it, if they're tropical, they wouldn't be growing in Hobart. Mm. Or in the Dandenongs. Or in yeah. the Dandenongs, in mm. snow. Frost can nip them back. Uh, we all know what snow does to flowers, but it doesn't really affect the plant. I mean, a lot, a lot by nature, a lot of rhododendrons come out of the Himalayas, so they naturally drop their leaves mm. um, just so the snow falls off them. I mean, that, that's how they've evolved throughout so a lot time. You look a bit Sorry. like a yeti then. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see at home, no. guys, but oh, um, I, I, I really did look a bit weird then, tragic and weird this he morning. He was being a rhododendron. <laughs> and very Dropping my leaves. Yeah. Yeah. So the varias, uh, we've got a species in northern Queensland, but... You, said earlier, Pete, that they grow through Papua New Guinea and a bit of Indonesia. Yes. Whereas the other um, rhododendrons, some of the more tree ones, are oh, sorry. Come out of the Himalaya, come out of the Himalaya. Yes, okay, some, so they're so, a bit further so, north. Yeah, they're northern hemisphere. And, 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 and way back, I remember um, having a little bit to do with varias back in the 80s at a nursery I worked in in Hobart, of all places. Um, and, yeah, they, they called them the tropical rhododendrons to separate them from the, the cold climate rhododendrons because back then it was all marketing and it was all new and you yeah. could get a yellow rhododendron and an orange rhododendron oh. and it was all part wow. of that marketing thing, yeah. yeah. Which was, you know, back in the 80s, that was really something quite stunning for Tasmania. I mean, I remember back in the same same bit of advertising I saw one weekend, they were advertising pink pampas scrubs you know <laughs> you gotta love the 80s you gotta love the 80s that was rah rah skirts and balloon skirts yes and, yeah. and i'd like to let our listeners know that i have registered a varia and called it jane tonkin oh. yay for jamie how lovely tell us about it <laughs> What's it look like, Jane? Oh, it's obviously beautiful, Chloe. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's um, what a lovely pinky red. red. Yeah. 
And I like had, a cochineally sort of yes, scarlet. Yes. Yeah, scarlet, yes. <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, I'd like to do something for my special friend. And um, you surprised her with having registered it. So, oh, and so when she told me, she said, oh, I thought I'd never be, um, know that you were going to be speechless. Like this. <laughs> yeah, we all are. know how Jane likes to talk. So, yeah. so Jane, when can we buy a Jane Tonkin? Yeah. Where can we buy a Jane Tonkin? She got and released. Is, is she going to be available at for nighttime entertainment? <laughs> <laughs> I have released a few to the public in Hobart. I'm only a very, very small grower, but I have supplied some um, through a fair that we have down there at a garden, um, and I will be propagating more of the said Jane Tonkin. Well, please do let us know when you have more of them. Uh, maybe it can be the new... Uh, the f- official flower or plant of the 3CR gardening, gardening show. show. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> you are but, embarrassed, but Jane. I am very embarrassed. <laughs> it's, not just, it's not just no, the it's, variety that's um, scarlet. No, yeah, it's James Mace's <laughs> scarlet right now. Um, no, I was, uh, I was just honoured to yeah. um, have her do that. We, we've been friends for quite some time, but, um, yeah, I, I can't even think about it now. <laughs> um, it was, yeah. Very humbling and, and overwhelming. Uh, and overwhelming. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Um, and a beautiful tribute, mm. something well, to the, do the, for This it. woman sitting next to me is, is incredible. Like, who jumps on a plane from Hobart, pays their own airfare to come and stand at the Melbourne Flower Show with me for five days straight? Especially the first two of them. And we, yeah, and we won't say Kay's age because you never ask a lady her age, but um, she's certainly well past retiring and um, Pete's trying to guess now, and we're trying to get. <laughs> we're trying. There's Oi, so many fingers. Hang on. And I, I take my hat off to her for standing there. For, and you know, Kate, do you want to sit down? No. Um, I'm like, okay. But by the end of it, my feet are sore, my throat's sore from talking so much. And on the way home, Kate's like, "Oh, that was fun. Let's do it all again tomorrow." And yeah, she's. Just an incredible role model, and um, I love you very dearly, oh, my darling. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but they breed them tough in Hobart. <laughs> <laughs> and in the hills, thanks very much. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, move on. Yeah, let's move away Come from on. Jane. All yeah. right, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is Chloe Foster, and in the studio with me this morning, I have Jane Tompkin, bulb grower, Peter Harris, propagator and tuberous begonia expert and grower, and Kay Hagen, Varea rhododendron grower and expert as well. So covering a fair bit of ground um, as far as our plant varieties go this morning. If you have any questions on any of those topics for our panellists, give us a call on 94190155. And the text message line is open as well. The number for that is 0488809855. If you want to have a look at some of the plants that we have been talking about this morning, you can jump onto our Facebook page or our Instagram page. Both of them are called 3CR Gardening Show. And you can see, yeah, as I said, you can see those plants that we've been chatting about. The email address for the show, if you want to send us some photos or if you're a podcaster and you're catching up later, uh, gardening at 3cr.org.au. We're running through till 9.15, so there's still plenty of time for you to give us a 
call and have a chat about whatever you want to have a chat about. All right, guys, flower and garden show, which we, um, us plant nerds that love it, we call it MIFGUS. <coughs> it yep. is, it's, that's the acronym for the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show, if you're yep. wondering what the hell we are saying. Yeah, so MIFGUS from now on is the, yeah. Melbourne yeah. International. Yep. Flower and garden <laughs> show. It's one of my favourite things, favourite events of the year. My... Um, my auntie took me to my first flower and garden show when I was in grade one, which I reckon must have been about the second garden show. And I can remember there used to be when businesses weren't as business savvy, there just used to be these big, massive apple crates full of bulbs mm-hmm. and you just that's pick right. a paper bag yep. and fill it up with bulbs. As many as you could yep. fit in, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I um, got the classic jonquil early cheer <laughs> and, I, and they – completely covered the garden for about 10 or 15 years at mum and dad's and we've slowly been thinning I think it's amazing since. that at, at a child in grade one that you were there and excited about grabbing bulbs no wonder it's in your blood <laughs> yeah. I know I've, yeah. Yeah, I've always loved it but <laughs> I just get I get so excited for the Fern Garden show every year it was a massive run-up to the show this <laughs> year for me with I wasn't fully involved with the achievable gardens but um, the the career hub that Melbourne Poly was a part of, and just yeah, in general, it's it's a huge effort. Like what you put together, Jane, was such it's it's just such a massive effort, and the lead up to it is it just takes a while. Yeah, nuts. Um, generally, it takes me the whole of sort of January, February, March to to get there, and um, I was unlucky enough to get COVID sort of late February, and I'm like, oh. oh. Mate. I've still got I've still got Noreen's to dig. I've got you know, um, but it's better than having it at Melbourne. So um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, a long because it's you know everything's dug by hand. So I broke two forks, um, and my garden forks have steel handles. They don't you can't use a um, timber handle. They just break. So I, I broke tines. So I had a trident for a while. That worked well. I've heard, um, and they said they breed them tough in Tassie. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> Maybe that's um, why we're such good friends. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's it's digging everything and then, you know, it's designing labels, packaging stuff. You know, I had I had friends coming after their normal day at work and packing stuff in the shed at night. Um, Every, everyone just gets roped in for Mifkas. Yeah. Like, absolutely. And, and as I said before, you know, Kay has dropped her life and, and come over. I, my friends... And my sister and everybody drops what they do. Like they take they take time off mm. from their job to come to Melbourne and help because we don't employ anybody. Um, we're sort of too little to. I've uh, got to be able to pay yourself first. But um, so we and, and the thing about us at Melbourne is the chance to offer the gardening public something a little bit different. Yeah, and, um, and that's what Mifgus does lack because it's so big. It does put off a lot of the smaller growers. Yeah, and it's the same with, with Pete and he was sharing with um, a couple of other dear friends of his and ours and um, to make it more... Cost effective. Yeah, okay, so so that side. That side. Okay, so so we were with Fresh Book Peony Farm, um, and, and look to give you some idea. That was a ten to twelve thousand dollars site, and um, people people think for a few hundred dollars you get a site in at Melbourne, and and it just wow. doesn't work that way. And it's not just your site cost. Then you have your flooring cost. You, the costs go on and on. And some of the guys. St- have accommodation in town because they don't want to go backwards and forwards yeah. and they have their staffing. Mifkus is a huge event and and it's been a couple of I this would be I don't think I've done Mifkus for three or four years and um, look 
my gripe is people pay we pay a big site fee people pay a big gate fee and unfortunately at Mifcus we can't just stop and talk to people it's lovely to go to those events where we've all got the time to sit listen to people's problems their complaints their issues and workshop it through with Mifcus you get so pushed along in the crowd or the public gets so pushed along in the crowd we're okay because we're standing on our side and we're well relatively protected but the crowds get so pushed along um, and, and to take the time to actually listen to people's problems it, it really doesn't happen at Mifcus so 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 I, I'm not poo-pooing Mifcus I, I love the event and I love the money that it creates and I love the feeding fervor that it causes but I, I also love some of the quieter plant shows we do where we can actually take the time to listen to people and sell them the right product product rather than that cash grab that happens yep. at Mifcus because there's also that FOMO that fear of missing out at Mifcus too and and I know some of the begonias and some of the peonies that we sold from our site they're they're not going to last more than a couple of weeks because throwing them in a bag and, and not having a chance to talk to people about the right peony for Brisbane and there are some bred out of New Zealand specifically for Brisbane but I know damn well they're not going to flower and mm-hmm. um, that is unfortunately one of the problems with Melbourne International people just grab stuff and you don't have a yeah, chance you, you to explain the to them properly. Yeah. You don't know, yeah. Mm. Um, so that, that's my that's, gripe about Melbourne. The other, other thing that I tend to do and being able to have my friends come and they can stand there with all the fervour and take money and stuff and so my partner Kirill and I were standing back and it's like someone asks something, they go, go there. So, we, yeah, Pete's motioning that I was drinking, but, um, yes, lots of water. Um, but so we were, we were able to plan for that sort of situation of answering people's questions because I think, um, yes, I agree with Pete that at the smaller shows it is a lot easier and you can get to know people a lot better as well. But I, I think it's very, very important for us to educate people on, you know, heaps of people said to me, um, why can't I grow Little of the Valley? And then you ask where they are and they say, I live in Frankston. And you're like, well, I'm sorry, I'm not going to take your money. I, I can't. Um, you're better off going and buying it in flower in a pot from a nursery and treating it like an annual because it's just not going to flower for you. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think that's fair. And as Pete said, you know, there's, there was probably peenies walking out the door that they've it's gone not to, your they've, fault. They've gone because, to Brisbane. Yeah, you and don't know like where they They're not going to flower for yeah, if so, ever. Um, yeah, I agree that it does get sort of full-on busy like that too, but we try and make sure that we sort of had enough volunteers that we could answer questions because mm. I, I, I find that very, very important. Yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of messages have come in. Um, someone that's too scared to uh, say their name... Um, their first visit to the flowering garden show was on Wednesday in the pouring rain. They were disappointed as they're not a flower ranger but had really gone to see the unusual plants that they could buy. I did feel that it was not much a plant person show but more a catch up with friends and participate in a workshop event. I love how much Melburnians love it, but I've decided that it's not for me. That oh, look, sad. that that it's 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 unfortunate. I mean, I, years ago, when we were all much younger, Jane, um, <laughs> all of those walks had independent small nurseries, yeah. and um, and, 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 and they were everywhere. And, and I must have heard, I, I, I've lost count of how many times the people that commented on how few plant retailers there yeah. was at Melbourne International and and it's 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 a victim of its own circumstance because the costs are now mm-hmm. so high yep. um 
the small retailer really can't afford to go there mm. and and yeah that's that's I've heard that many times what, what I would encourage this listener um, is to keep you know well you're listening to the gardening show like when we're putting out our community announcements go to the Yarra Valley mm. plant fair mm. um, you know treasured perennials you know Ben Brooker who was on last week he goes there Jane do you go to the Yarra Valley plant fair no I, I'll, I'll be going just as a, a plant nerd yeah um, You're usually at Fernie Creek. Usually at Fernie Creek. There's yeah. a whole lot of other smaller, more boutique growers that go to these. The smaller events. Shows. And yeah. Pete will be there. Yeah, I'm, I'm there. We yeah, I shot my mouth off on this station many, <laughs> many weeks ago now. So we, we've got to put a Chivas Begonia display up for the people in the Arrow Valley. So part yeah. of my collection will be over there. Plus plus a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. As well. I think I think Clive and I do a great mm. job up there. Um, I, I think. That's um, getting bigger and bigger. It's, it's like, it's look, we, we've, we've, we've watched it grow with. Clive from the first one, yep. and it's a fantastic event. Um, the spring and the autumn one. It's, it's a different, different groups me. of different groups of um, people attend. So yeah, it's, it's a whole bunch of fun, yeah. and, and it's it, and parking's easy, yeah, and, and you, you can know, take it's like, your dog, and, and, you like, and there's lots to do out in the Yarra Valley as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, go to go to those smaller shows and be out. There's a much more greater array of and of pick growers. the exhibitors' brains. Yeah. yeah, and you have more chance to to talk to the exhibitors there as well. Um, we have a call which we must get to. Um, thank you for waiting. Liz in Mount Eliza, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Um, very well, thank you. And I would agree with everything you've said just then. I love, love, love the smaller shows, the Fernie Creek. I didn't go to Mythcus this year. Um, I think the atmosphere too at Fernie Creek in particular is just gorgeous. It's just a lovely day. Um, and like um, I think it was Virginia said last week, the sausage sizzle is rather good as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, I'm torn between which one, but I'll probably go to Yarra Valley. I think they have the sausage sizzle too, don't they? Yeah. The scouts do yep. a sausage yep. sizzle there. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my question is, and it's it, probably to Peter, I, um, I have got a ripsalis. I've got a couple in hanging baskets, which look, lovely and I got a cutting from a friend and I don't know what it is it's a very the very fine sort of hairy one what, what's um, a rip sal- I, what's a rip silas um it's a a, a cacti isn't it all right yes yeah it's a okay. small yeah it's a small yep. succulent yep it's a very small succulent that um I can't. There's sort of there's lots of different. Oh, I know, I know the ones. I know the ones. Yes, yes, those little compressed leaves. Yes, I know the ones. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, so I got a cutting from a friend about a year ago, and I plopped it in a um, in water, and I've left it because it's grown, and it's thick and thick with roots. Yep. And I've done the same. Somebody also gave me a cutting of Megan's Magic, which I was desperate for, and I plopped that into some water as well, and that's growing some. Um, very fine roots. Yep. Now, I've done this before and I've planted and they die. Yep. Have I, with the Ripsalis in particular, which is just a ball full of roots? So, so basically basically what you're doing is there's enough air in your water for the roots to live... But the minute you pop it into the soil, it's not. It, you're taking it from from a from an incubator basically, and you're not hardening it off. So basically, you need to encourage those roots that are growing in water and got a really easy life 
to move off mother and start to wean. So you need to let that water level drop. You need to let those roots that are submerged make their new roots so they get used to breathing oxygen out of your potting soil. So basically the roots it has aren't able to take in oxygen through the soil because they're in the water. You need to harden them up very slowly. So, so I mean, this is the perfect time of the year. Don't try and harden them up in summer because the roots are just going to shrivel the minute the water yeah. level drops. Yeah. The, yes, you can say there'll be humidity between the, the, the level of water and, you know, the, the roots, but there won't be enough because at the moment they're used to 100% saturation. So you've yeah. got to take them down, make those lazy little roots that have, that have been nurturing off, off the water create new roots okay so they have to re-root away and create roots that actually will breathe air out of the potting soil not just out of the water that's that's why when you pot them up they're not going for you so sorry so what do i just okay so so you so you've the roots to air. Yeah, but slowly. You can't do it. it. It's hardening things up that way is a gradual project. Yeah, yeah right? that's fine. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's it, basically instead of using a rooting media, which yeah. we would have a natural air-filled porosity, that's how potting mixes or rooting mixes are made up, the yeah. water doesn't. The water has oxygen and um, yeah. um, hydrogen, which H2O. is water, yeah. H2O. Um, so you, it, it's basically, um, how can I try to explain it? It's like when you force feed a plant in a pot and then you take it outside and you pop it in the garden and it grows backwards and backwards and backwards because you're no longer force feeding it. You're expecting the roots yeah. that have had everything thrown into them and it doesn't, it's just got fat and lazy and doesn't have to work for itself because okay. you've given it okay. everything. So the water has done the same thing. So you need to make those roots actually work for their oxygen and work for their nutrient rather than just get everything you've given to them, which is the, in the water. So, 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 so there are all kinds of roots. It's not just you look at a root and you go, it's a root. It isn't. There are all kinds, like there are feeder root, anchor root, tap roots, um, adventitious root. Like there's all sorts yeah. of different roots. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And there's but, a year's worth in there. Well, there's a year's <laughs> worth. Bless its little heart. Um, so, so, as I, I think this time of the year, you can stop topping the water level up, okay? okay. Allow, allow it to start to drink the water. Okay. But before it finishes drinking the water, try to get some, some sphagnum moss or something around those roots so they'll act as a wick. They'll, yep. they'll, I'm, I'm thinking on my feet now. They will allow the, the water to adventitiously go up through. The roots will then root into the sphagnum moss. Yeah. So, so you yeah. don't understand what we're doing? We're replacing yeah. the yeah. volume of water yeah. with, yeah. with moss as it drinks yeah. it, and then they'll root away into the moss and then pop a little bit of fertiliser on it and then progressive you know, pot and him then, up. Okay. Yeah, because, because basically the moss is then doing the job of the soil. So it's just okay. a different media. Yeah. Okay. So with Megan's Magic, this last question, Megan's Magic, which has only just now got, I only plopped that in, and I do it because I'm lazy and I can't be bothered going out in the back. Um, so I plop them on my windowsill in the kitchen. And um, I've just noticed about three little roots. Should I do the same with that? Or should I, before it gets bogged down with root, should I try and 
planted. So I'm assuming Megan's, Megan's magic, magic another succulent? Is it's a it's salvia. It's a salvia. Oh, okay. Salvia. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's yeah, a salvia. Yeah. Okay. It's a completely different thing. It's a salvia. Right, yes, salvias. So, so, so with the salvia, have you, have you um, uh, reduced its leaf surface? Yes, I did. Oh, okay. And, but Perfect. you know what? It's flowered. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Pinch, pinch, okay, pinch a flower out because basically you're asking the plant to keep growing as if it was getting everything that Mother Nature gave it on the plant. Right. And it's, it's like it's, it's, it's expelling energy into keeping that flower going when it shouldn't. It should be putting it into roots. So basically it's the same situation, right? So you've, you've got it in water. Yeah, salvias root pretty quick through water, don't they? Um, so basically you've still got to harden its leaves up in this set of circumstances because the succulent has, is a, a, um, adapted in life not yeah. to push a lot of moisture out. Well, salvias push a lot of moisture out their leaves. So basically you've got a cutting with a few roots on it and those roots haven't done any job either, okay? Right. So um, my suggestion is get yourself a nice open mix, um, basically any decent potting mix with a bit of polystyrene yeah, right. or something in it just to open yeah, it up. Yeah. Um, pot your plant in, but then make a little dome. So you've got to make a little artificial glass house for it and, and basically for you, um, probably a 75mm pot will do. Pop a skewer okay. or something in to hold right. your cutting upright. Um, and then just put, put some frame of some, some extra skewers or something and just drape a plastic bag. or um, a, a, It's got to be plastic, not a paper bag, because it needs to have air and it needs to have the humidity kept around it. So a, ba- yeah. a, pa- a plastic bag will basically give it an artificial little greenhouse. And yeah, I've got, so, a little, I've got little domes that I do. That's perfect. 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 And then, okay. then, then just give him a little tug. And he, once he's got enough roots not to come straight out, which it might take two weeks in the warmth there, um, lift your dome ever so slightly just to get a little bit of air in there. So you start introducing dry air to it and hardening it up slowly. Okay. And, give, and, and over a week's period, move it on and it'll be fine. Okay, thank you for that. Right. Pleasure. All the best. Okay. Have a lovely day. Shall Bye. do. You too. All right, we've got a couple more calls to get through. We must say good morning to Lee from Merrick's North. Good morning, panel. Thank you for waiting, Lee. Morning. Oh, that's all right. I heard a, a mention that um, you wouldn't sell Lily of the Valley to people in Frankston. Is that, did I hear that correctly? Yes, yes. I'm at Merrick's North, which is about 20 minutes further down the peninsula from Frankston. Mm-hmm. And uh, years ago, some years ago, I don't know, five or eight or something, I bought a tube of uh, Lily of the Valley from the Big Green Shed Mm -hmm. and it had three or four little um, plants of Lily of the Valley in. Well, that little tube, I've now got four, about four metres, a little pathway uh, area down the side of my veranda, absolutely chock-a-block with Lily of the Valley. Well, congratulations. Do you get get a frosty winter at all where you are? No, no frost here. No frost at all. Look, look, there there, there are always... We've got the sea on each side of us. We don't get frost here. There are always exceptions, and Jane was was really... um, You you bought your plant in a pot as an established plant. I think Jane was really going back to the people that are are buying, like, the little bare-rooted pieces of rope with a little bud on them and then taking them and popping them in the hot, sandy soil beside a path... And it, they just can't grow. That, I think that's what Jane was alluding to, rather than sort of an established plant. Yeah, the, there are always exceptions to rules, and um, yeah. And congratulations. Yeah, yeah I, that's right. That, I wasn't ringing to uh, say you were wrong or criticise. I was ringing to congratulate myself. I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> it is particularly wet. I think it gets a bit of um, overflow from my tank oh, when it comes across yeah, the yeah, drive yeah, down yeah. onto the garden, and I think it is probably wetter there than I would like. 
Uh, but I have been amazed because they self sow in the gravel and I can dig those up and pop them back where they ought to be. Now you're skiting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, the, re- the reason that's doing so well is because it is getting that overflow as well. So, so, so that microclimate you've created for it is, you know, it is an understory plant. It, 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 does, want, it does want that sort of nice microclimate to, that overflow is creating. But that's, you, you're an exception to the rule. I, I understand that. That's why I'm scotting. <laughs> <laughs> and and a bunch and, and a bunch of flowers delivered to the radio station would be would be much appreciated. <laughs> yeah. Very well, the program, well done, Lee. Thanks very much. Bye. See you later. Cheers. Bye. Okay, we'll keep the phone calls going and say good morning to John in Brunswick West. Hello. Uh, good morning, panel. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, look, I'm just. Uh, wondering about the, uh, I've got uh, daffodil bulbs, and, and I'm wanting to know uh, how how deep to plant them. Okay, um, they need just sort of a normal well-drained spot, um, and about two inches deep, so two inches of soil in the old language over the top of the bulb. Okay, thanks very much. And, and fertilise them? Um, daffodils, um, like marines, don't really like a lot of... Um, high nitrogen and um, all the big smelly ones. So just any general bulb food um, that's lower in nitrogen would be perfect. And um, depending on, like, if you're putting six in a clump, uh, a tablespoon of food is enough. Okay. Thanks very much. You're welcome. All the best, John. Thank you. Okay, we'll get to some text messages here. Byrne, can you just scroll the text message up a tiny bit because there's a couple come through and I've missed them. Okay. Um, earlier, Jane mentioned uh, topping up bulbs, uh, bulb pots with blood and bone, etc. Um, the listeners spent Easter weekend weeding all the bulb pots under the eaves ahead of winter and spring. What should be the best practice for an inner city home bulb gardener growing bulbs in pots year round? Um, as into now that now that they've cleaned their pots up and top dressing them ready for Mother Nature to do her thing and wash it in, mm. um, it depends on how well you like your neighbours, I suppose, on what you might want to top dress your pots <laughs> with. Um, and it also depends what's in the pots. Daffodils and things, um, as you just heard, don't need a lot of food, so just any of the granular fertilisers that you could just sprinkle on the top of the pot to let it do its thing. Um, if there's things like tulips, you might need to add garden lime or something like that to them as well, um, which you can get in a um, bag at sort of all your garden centres and things like that. Um, bring them out from under the eaves um, so yeah. that, you know, they can get the beautiful rains that we're getting and over the winter most of those spring flowering bulbs are doing everything underground, making those beautiful feeder roots and things and um, need some sunshine and rain and, um, yeah. Beautiful. Thanks, Jane. Uh, another listener texted in saying that the Melbourne Botanic Gardens friends, their plant sale usually have varroa rhododendrons if anyone is uh, hunting them down. Great. Kay, do you post your varroas or are you just for Tassie listeners? Mainly for Tassie. Okay. All right. At this stage. Okay. <laughs> How can listeners in Tassie um, get hold of you? Well, I'm happy to leave my number here at the station okay. for anyone who has any inquiries. If they'd like to contact me, I'm only too willing to try and pass on some 
something that works yeah. for me to maybe help them solve yeah. a problem. Okay, thank you. Uh, yeah, if any Tassie listeners have any questions or want to get in contact with Kay, whether it's during the show at the moment or if you're listening on the podcast, just get in contact with us at The Gardening Show, gardening at 3cr.org.au, and we can pass Kay's details on to you. Thank you. Uh, another rhododendron question for you, panel. Uh, this listener, oh, no name, um, they said, if you can grow varays in the Dandenongs, why can't I grow regular rhododendrons in Port Melbourne? Okay, we're talking about a Himalayan plant to start with. And regularly you'll hear the term morning, sunshine, afternoon, shade. Port Melbourne is, um, what would the air, air humidity be? It would be That'd fairly be low in there. Yeah. Um, that's, so that's the first problem. So you, you're trying to grow a, a, a plant. In the, there, there are some smaller, much smaller leafed sun hardy ones. Um, which tend to be rhododendron azalea crosses, I believe. Um, anyway, um, it, best grown in pots, but also with rhodes. Don't forget, no, I'm talking rhododendrons generally. We're not, we're not dividing between varieties and rhododendrons. They are mountainous plants. They also enjoy an acid soil. So invest in a soil pH test kit. Check your soil pH. That would be one starting point. Second point would be if they dry out. Once they dry out, they're fairly unforgiving because they have a lot of feeder roots. They don't have anchor roots and they don't have food storage capacities. Thirdly, if you do dry them out, always give them a good hard haircut and you can sometimes recover them. But generally, it comes down to the wrong soil type. But also, whenever you're in these areas, take a walk around your community. See what else is growing there. And if you can't see any other roadies growing there, there's a bloody good reason for it. <laughs> um, that Something's will be, wrong. There's something wrong, yeah. And that's the advice we always give people. Also, too, Peter, I think it is important that our listeners realise that the Asiatic rhododendron sometimes do better planted on the ground, as does Varea, rather than in the ground. There's, there's a lot of units, there's a lot of apartments, all that sort of stuff down through Port Melbourne. There aren't a lot of actual residents, are there? Oh, no, there, there's some there's some residents in some of the older places. But, yeah, I mean, if, if you have the ability to put something in the ground as Kay said maybe don't plant them in the soil but planting them on top mm-hmm. with a um, free draining mix Def- definitely get it. a soil ph done yeah, yeah. i think get, that's absolutely good. Get a test done. yep good idea all right we've got another caller and we must say good morning to ella in frankston good morning panel thank you for your wonderful show this morning thank you thank you um, happy thank easter you. Happy Easter. <laughs> uh, I've just recently taken my noreens out of a pot and put them in the garden and they all flowered. They're all red, which is beautiful. But I was wondering, because I put them in the garden, is it true that they, I have to wait another three years before they flower again? Uh, no. Um, in a word, uh, I find that there's ones that I um, put aside to plant back each season because I think they're going to be too small to flower next year. Um, So depending on the size of the bulbs that you have shifted, some of them will definitely be flowering size, some of them will be um, smaller offsets, so you um, may find that some of them won't flower. But I I get surprised each year when um, the ones I thought were too small to flower (laughs) actually flower 
Um, some of the older varieties like um, the pink badenii um, can sulk for a year, but most of those, like the red you've got is probably for the Gilio Major, which would have been um, about the end of February, early March at Flowered. Yes, they did. There was a beautiful display, and all the bowls were big, and that's the reason why I had to take them out of the pots. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it doesn't increase like some of the um, other cultivars do as well. So there would have been some bubbers on the side when you pulled that pot yes. apart. Oh yes, yeah. oh yes, about about fifty. Yep, great. Yeah. So I assume that you've sort of done a couple of different groups um, and putting big and small together or something. No, well, I've put this, uh, pot, the small ones uh, in little pots and given them away to people. Oh, you're lovely. It's a neighbours, but at the same time, uh, I've kept the big ones, but I think that the small ones will grow again, obviously. Yes. So, but I, I heard a story that it takes three years for them if you re- remove them or... Um, no, I no, not, not necessarily, not. no, because um, I, I shift mine each year. Um, because of the oh, fact that good. I'm doing it commercially, honey, rather than, you know. Um, oh, good to know. Yeah, so you you can um, be assured that they will flower in the new spot, I think, next year, um, on those bigger ones especially. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All right. All the best, Ella. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye. This is the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm Chloe Foster and in the studio this morning, I have Jane Tonkin, Peter Harris and Kay Hagen. I will remind listeners that the greater 3CR station runs on the smell of an oily rag. <laughs> um, one of the best ways to support the station, to keep it running and support the staff that do keep all the shows on air is to subscribe. It's really easy to do. Jump onto the 3cr.org.au website and there's a link on there to subscribe. It's about $80 a year and it keeps it keeps the station running and it keeps this wonderful gardening show on air, which we all love. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> um, another text message has come through a about the Flower and Garden Show. Um, uh, listener Kim goes about every five years. Oh, no, i go been going for the last five years, always go on the Thursday, enjoy the glitz but rarely buy anything as it's so expensive. Um, it's more about seeing how the other half live. Um, and there's so many water features, she says. Won't mention the $15 sandwiches. Didn't buy <laughs> Didn't buy one and still in shock at the price. But the best stall this year was the clay-fired products from Anglicare. I missed that one. I, did, I must have missed you, that one too. Do you remember yeah. seeing the oh, do you remember seeing the Anglicare stall? You just don't get time to walk around and look at everything. No, you no. wouldn't. I, I, did, did, I didn't make it all, to all the big gardens. No. I, I went, you can't do it in one day. Mm. I was mm. running around like a headless chook for two and a half days and I still mm. there's still things that I missed. Yeah. Yeah. But um it's yeah, it, it, it's a big show. It, it is hard to get around, especially when you when you're commuting in to to go to your site. Mm. I mean, unless you make use of that little bit of downtime, and really, it is running off, having a look, and coming back. Mm. As to the cost of sandwiches and things, it comes back to the the site yeah. fees. It's all to do with the site yeah. fees, and you you can't pay wages and pay the site fee and yeah. do it for nothing. It's, yeah. it's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah, the show gardens are getting bigger and bigger every year. I mm. reckon the um, Peter Donegan. 
garden with the gigantic volcanic basalt rocks mm-hmm. in amongst mm. the, the shallow pool of water was a, a huge effort yeah. to put together. And the achievable gardens that mm. are done by students. Again, I remember when I used to go in high school and, and you know, 10 or 15 years ago, the the achievable gardens were like – Achievable, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whereas Not now, so much now. Yeah. they're incredible landscape yeah. creations. Yeah, it, they just—I mean—they blow my mind with what students are, are the quality that students mm. are putting out. Um, but they, to me, they used to be um, little um, little. Dioramas. Yeah, I'm sure it was a smaller area that they had to use as well. It I seems to be it like was... three times the size now. I yeah, um, I wouldn't. Well, I would say two times the size, mm. but you can say three, and we'll mm. you know whatever. <laughs> I reckon they're bigger than what they used to mm. be as well. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's if that yeah. is the case, but yeah. The, the, and they seem to have, they they definitely have taken up more of the avenues. There was than a lot this to. year, and now once again, I wonder if that's because the gardens are getting bigger to fill the space to give people bang for buck yeah. sort well, of thing. Last year they went um, only straight along yeah. the road, but this year it was in a horseshoe, which actually yeah. worked a lot better because you're it able – it was everyone was off the path and, and it, you're able to see them. It made setup a lot easier, didn't it, Jane? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> there was one side of the avenue that was clear to drive down. Yeah. yeah. But they, it's – you know, we're only there sort of the three days before it opens was when I start setting up. Oh, right. But it's still – crazy with those big gardens hardly you know it looks hardly finished at all and you think oh good. 20, 24 yeah. hours the boys are pulling all night yeah, don't and, they? and, and you then, get it done and you think and then you Whoa. walk in the next morning and you're like oh wow where's the mess yeah, where's amazing. The, so, um, how quickly they get I, together that's the end. advantage of being a part of the show is that you can go in there and watch all of that mm. and see how it's done and everything yeah. but yeah. yeah those achievable gardens i thought were great um yeah uh, i but I, I agree with you. It's it's on a larger scale than what it used to be. Yeah. Mm. One of my favourite gardens was the one that um, landscape design company Platylobium did. Mm-hmm. It was a native garden, of course. I yep. loved it. Um, it was just really – it sort of looked achievable as far as the display gardens go. It was absolutely beautiful plant selection and a slightly different layout to how a lot of the other designed uh, – a lot of the other display gardens did. They um, Nadia Cole, who leads Platylobium, clumped a lot of the species together it was really effective to sort of get these different types of australian natives planted on mass yep. mm-hmm. um which was yeah i sort of thought it was in that respect it was different to all of the other display gardens which was very nice to see something a little bit different yeah. look look a lot of, a lot of them um there were some gardens there and i'm, I'm not going to name names mm. but there are some gardens there and as far as i'm concerned um I, I don't live in in a small area where i have to be um all design and no and no plant variety um and there were definitely some gardens there that there is no way birds and little critters are going to go and have a party in because the plant species used in them just aren't attractant to them where as chloe mentioned some those i saw some of those native groups and i thought that is my idea of a garden and 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 don't mm. don't real criticism this way because every beauty is in the eye of the beholder and yeah. I, but but my view of a garden is it should be there for a purpose of attracting the little critters yeah. that we want to bring into the areas it's, it's really interesting that you say that because in the last and minus the the two years that it wasn't on um 
because of COVID and in the couple of years leading up to it, I do specifically remember seeing a lot of the display gardens and a lot of the other maybe activities or stalls or workshops, whatever they were happening, that were really focused on habitat gardens and bringing in pollinators, whether they're birds or insects, into the garden. Remember Ben Hutchinson, who's a... um, does a lot of rock work and a, and, a, and a native landscaper. He did a beautiful display garden and it was so biodiverse in the species that he had. Um, I, I That wasn't so much the case this year. There wasn't uh, – the last few years I sort of, oh, this is really good. We're really um, – you know, that theme of, of habitat and creating – a home in our gardens and a, a haven and a shelter. Yeah, yeah. I thought, oh, we're really, you know, we're getting better. But this year, I, that mm. wasn't the case. There was one garden I can't remember. I can't remember what it was um, that was focused on bringing in insects and butterflies and all that. But it wasn't a real focus for it. But yeah, it was. Yeah, that was something that I noticed. So it was interesting that you mm. saw that too. Yeah. All right, we must get to another caller who's been waiting patiently. Uh, Jan in Heathmont, good morning. Good morning, Chloe. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Happy Easter. Thank you. Is that my auntie? <laughs> How did you guess? What, a, what about the rest of oh, it? Oh, you have such a distinctive voice. <laughs> what time are we coming around you know, for lunch? Do you yeah. know how many people threaten me that they're going to call up while yeah. I'm on the radio and yeah. no one's ever done it? Good one, Jan. Yeah. Well, I just wondered if the Easter Bunny had visited you this morning. Um, a hot chocolate has come my way, so I'm pretty happy with that. Oh, well, that's something, isn't it? Now, I do have a question, though. Um, Clivia or Clivia? Whatever Either you want to call either. it. What, yes. Does it matter? No. doesn't matter. It's, it's... Well, we have, we have a whole lot of them, and we want to separate them and replant them out. Now, what's the best time to be separating the Clivias? Okay, you do not want to be dividing eclivias going into winter, okay? They only make up root growth when the soil is warm. They're those big fleshy roots. You don't want to give them opportunity to let rot go through the roots, which then will work back to the basal plate, which will then take care of the plant. So um, always after your last frost out there, you're not as cold as some of us, but after your last, it's, it's always after your last frosts, um, you only need to remove the old leaves that you destroy while you're trying to divide them. Um, get get a good strong back, and I believe <laughs> I believe she's got her hand up here because she's turning up for lunch later on. <laughs> um, you you may sacrifice your flowers for a year. Um, generally, yeah, those, those little ones, it. particularly those little satellites that break off the sides of your clivias. As to whether it's clivia or clivia, named after the Raj of India, Clive. Um, so that's there, right. Yeah. yeah so, so, so clivia. Yeah, I know so, Stephen Ryan says um, clivia. Um, um, look, it, it depends on, on which which proper finishing school you went to, I guess. <laughs> but as long as we all know what we're talking about, it doesn't really matter how you pronounce it. Um, but yeah, always yeah. after after your last frost, get them in in the spring, get them done. And what would be the best aspect? Oh, um, out in Heath. Look, I've seen poor clivias stuck under trees in a northerly aspect, and yes, they burn. Um, but really, with clivias, once again, it's that morning sun, all day shade, any of that sort of stuff. But if you're going to give put them out in the sun, easterly aspect, southerly aspect yes. is fine. Yes, because we want to transplant them to different places. So. Um Easterly aspect would work really well. Easterly, southerly, great. ferneries, all that. Yes. Clevias really, really do enjoy the shade, so don't be afraid. Yes. But but don't 
Don't don't go don't go sun up until twelve o'clock if you want them to still remain glossy and green and beautiful. Yes, thank you so much, and have a wonderful Easter, everyone. And what time thank are we there you. for lunch? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, anyway, Auntie. I think it's- I you, think it's um, hot cross buns tomorrow morning. Yeah, tomorrow morning, morning I'm going round. <laughs> you, you've just yes. adopted. You've just adopted two teenage <laughs> children <laughs> as well. We are like teenagers. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow. Bye, Claude. Bye. Oh, she sounds fabulous. Oh, that's the best. Oh, I'm so glad she called in. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you, Yarn. I call her Yarn. Um, all right, we are here for another five or ten minutes. Um, chatting all things bulbs, rhododendrons and everything else. Pete, we haven't got to many of your plants. Let's um, get some. Let's before, before we finish, can I just give a wrap? Um, yes. We, 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 we ended our begonia display early this year because it had turned its, its um, at peak. Um, so we got about 4,000 people through again this year, which was fantastic. Wow. Now, I'd like to say to those people that didn't make it this year, we'll be doing it again next year. There's also part of my collection now. The, the Massenden Ranges Autumn Leaves Festival is happening. So it's happening from the 1st of April to the 30th, end of April, I think the 30th, this is 30 days in April, yeah. Um, yep. So, so um, Forest Glade, which is one of the open gardens, there's a conservatory up there. We've put somewhere between one and 200 plants in there. I really mm. couldn't tell you. I've never counted. I don't know what's <laughs> no, up there. Sometimes you don't want so, to know. So for those that didn't make it to me, you can, in part of the the Massenden Rangers um, autumn event, you can pop up to Forest Glade and I believe they'll get about 1,000 people through there a day over the weekend during this time of the year. So go and have a look up there at the Is Begonias. Um, yes, I believe it's a $5 gate oh, well, cost. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a huge garden, the, mm. and you, the, look, there's a, there's a $70 million antique collection, painting collection in the house you, you line up and pay and go and have a look at. It, that's not a free event, but the gardens are beautifully landscaped as yeah. well. Um, so that, that's happening, and the Yarra Valley Plant Fair, we also have quite a begonia display going in there, plus plants and things for mm. sale. So I'd just like to give that a wrap, and I'd like to thank everybody for coming along and having a look at our third one this year. We'll be there again next year. Great. So that's what we've been up to. Beautiful. What other plants have you got down there? Okay, well, I brought a couple of extras in. Um, let's talk about the little armoranthus. Okay. Janie, would you hold that? Oh, that goes so yeah. beautifully against your, your it does. Leaf, doesn't it there? Perfect match. Okay, armoranthus, cordatus, love lies bleeding. Okay, it's one that the Aztecs used to grow for seed. It, it, there, there are many um, armorant out there in the world of um, grain-providing plants, but this one's been grown, I believe, f- the, the Aztecs grew it um, going way back. I don't know exactly when because I can't find my blasted note. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. No, it's no, very no, hard no, time no, ago. No, a long time ago. to remember. Here, here we go. I've, <laughs> I've found it. <laughs> Um, so look, it'll, it's it's an annual. This one, it'll grow to about two meters in height. It does like the full sun. Um, the as I said, the Aztecs used it. They made a red dye out of the flowers, and basically, um, they then revered the plant because they also worshipped the red color, which mm-hmm. is for blood. 
Um, and the Greek word, here we go, means, so amaranth really means the flower doesn't lose its colour. I Google searched that, by the oh, way. I'm yeah. not that smart. Good I, I Google no. searched that. Good research, um, Which, is, which yeah. is where amaranth comes from. No part, no part of the plants um, can, can harm anybody or any animals. It's all edible. Um, the leaves as well. Do you know what it's, it tastes like? Um, it's, it tastes a bit like you know that um, the these the sour um, sorrels. It tastes yeah. a bit bitter. Okay. okay, so steam leaves and the mm. grains obviously are used for making breads. Um, it was widely used in the eighteenth and nineteenth century in the conservatories throughout Europe. It fell out of fashion um, in in the nineteenth early 20th century because it's just a big plant for the small blocks it's fi- it's come back in in the last 20 or 30 years because it's now on the edibles mm. so there we are amaranthus quadratus what a great plant it's, cool. it's only an annual seedling grown yep and yeah. did you say two, two meters tall around yeah. about two yeah. meters yeah and so, so so the catkins so the flower is what's called a catkin so then lots and lots of lots of individual little part flowers that it hangs and down a bit fluffy. like a yeah. fl- there Jane's like Jane stroking it it'll, <laughs> start, <laughs> it'll start to purr in a minute <laughs> Peter, is it frost tender? It dies. Okay, so it's annual. It's oh, right. Over Good. winter, like, so it starts flowering in summer and it will flower until the frost knocks it. Yep. And Thank then, you. Then you, it either drops seed or you sow seed yourself. Mm-hmm. Readily available. Pete, make sure you send a photo of that into Liz so we can put it up on the socials because it's, it's a very stunning... Cool. It's cool. a stunning flower. It's cool. so cool. And he's cool. perfectly matching Jane's jumper it's... in colour and with the little baubles that you've yep. got on your yep. jumper too. Mm-hmm. Completely matches. Love it. Well, I must we, – we've come to the end of the show. That went really quick that last hour. Um, thank you, Pete, Jane, for coming in. Kay, thanks for jumping on a mic. You're <laughs> very welcome. Minute. Thank it you for really, having me. Next time you're in Melbourne, let us know and we'll, we'll – um, Get it back again. Be a little bit more planned <laughs> um, to have you on the show. So thank you very much. Thanks for your knowledge, all three of you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chloe. Thanks, Chloe. Uh, Burn and Tom, thanks for keeping us in line, producing today, and thanks to Liz who does our socials. I really wish everyone a happy long weekend, whatever you're doing. Get out in the garden in between rain showers if you can. We'll be back again at 9, no, at 7.30 next Sunday morning. Have a lovely day, everyone, and we'll see you later. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.